Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, happy Father's Day. Thank you. Evan, happy not a Father's Day. I'm a cat dad, so I take Don't, offense no. to that. <laughs> is uh, Fred your fur baby? Yes, I gave him some catnip, so he is stoned out of his mind right now. Damn. <laughs> living his best life. See, this is why you can't compare pet owners to having actual kids, because I can't do that with my kids. Well, you can't publicize <laughs> it on the internet like I just did. <laughs> Mika would gladly eat a cookie. Listen, I've seen Mika stoned because she had to be put under for dental work because kids can't be awake for it. That's the only thing on the face of this earth I've ever seen calm her down. Got some great videos out of it, though. This seems like just another point in Evan's column. See, Evan, the moment you're a dad, all your perspective goes out the window. You're not willing to try anything anymore. That's why we really have it good. Anyways, no, seriously, Brad, happy Father's Day. I uh, hope you actually got to sleep today. <laughs> I thought it good was a good one. joke. <laughs> it was a terrific joke. Oh, uh, man. Double vaxxed up. Vaxxed waxed. You was just waiting on me and Evan now? Yup. I am two doses deep. It's great. Uh, Evan, and your weekend was days five and six consecutively golfing before you took today to finally rest yes i played tuesday wednesday thursday 18 friday 18 saturday and today i forced myself not to play i was gonna go out and play i was scheduled to golf for the first time this year and got rained out before i even got there so yesterday yep i I had a tea time I had a tea time at 3.30. The rain was scheduled to start at 4, and it did not miss its time. The uh, patrons know that when you contribute to the show, aside from like hosting fees and cost of like production and equipment and everything, uh, your contributions go to feeding Brad's kids, paying for my uh, extra therapy that I need for dealing with these two and Evan's back surgeries that he will inevitably need. Oh, man. On that note. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Dad. I'm Evan. Oh, man. Uh, not a lot of Red Wings talk this episode, but a good amount of uh, hockey talk in terms of the playoffs, which have been incredibly entertaining. And we're going to uh, deliver part two of our um, conversation with Max that we had last week, which is just a completely off the cuff. We did it because we felt like it mock draft uh, for the non-playoff teams, which was uh, a good bit of fun. Uh, but before that, uh, as usual, I do want to take the time to acknowledge uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation is a tri- children's foundation initiative uh, that was created in memory of Jamie Daniels. Um, by That was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and give them some support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. And if you haven't listened yet, tune into our interview with uh, Ken Daniels, which was just a few episodes ago. Okay, um, Red Wings news. There really isn't any. Playoff news. there's been a ton that Tampa Bay uh, Long Island series has been 
phenomenal. The Montreal Vegas series has surprisingly been phenomenal. What a f- fantastic playoffs for people with no skin in the game. Like I'm just having a blast every night. We almost we were a hair away from seeing the goal of the year given the context maybe of the decade only for it to turn into the save of the year maybe of the decade <laughs> that islanders tampa finish in game 3 was the craziest finish i've seen to a hockey game since e who shall not be mentioned like McDonough is walking in point blank with less than five seconds on the clock. Varlamov, understanding the circumstance, comes charging out like a goalie out of the 80s, out of the 80s. McDonough goes, I don't like my angle here. You know what will do the trick? A spinorama from the defenseman Ryan McDonough. The crazy part, it worked. He beat Varlamov clean with just enough time. To win the game, except for Ryan Pulak, the defenseman who just happened to be cruising by the crease, gets down on all fours and saves it almost on the goal line with a few seconds left. Like, you, this is the type of shit, if Disney put this in a movie, you would scream at them for going way over the top and that would never happen and what kind of overdramatic bullshit is this to end a movie except it happened in an actual hockey game in the NHL in the conference finals in a crucial game like it's crazy as a uh, I don't know if you guys know this but I used to play defense when I played hockey and as a former defenseman that save is the stuff of dreams. Like when you draw up, every defenseman also dreams of scoring, you know, the game winning goal. Like we're not crazy people, but when you think of defensive plays, like that is what you draw up in your head when you're like, I saved the team season and we go on to win the cup. Like when I saw him do that on, like at first it was such a, a mad scramble that I was like, Oh, McDonough just biffed it and hit someone's leg or something. But no, Seeing Pulak come over so heroically, I'm like, that man will never have to buy another beer on Long Island again in his life. Good for them. Good for the Islanders. Tampa's no joke, man. Like, that team is incredibly tough to play against. And the fact that the Islanders have have matched them tit for tat and, and taken two off Tampa, good for them. That's a blast. I'm not even particularly rooting against Tampa as a Red Wings fan. I would love for them to not repeat. I don't like when teams repeat because that takes away from Detroit's credibility from when they did it. We're not going to talk about the other team that's done it. Um, But it's just such good hockey. You can't be mad either way. I mean, I can be uh, for reasons that I won't repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Some drums have been banged enough. We're going to leave that one lie. But no, it has been phenomenal hockey. And... I forget the grandiose point I was going to make there because I got angry, but I had to internalize it. That's okay. Uh, it's <laughs> I can't believe he's Evan. I can't believe he's still sticking to the word grandiose. I think there's no changing people with some things. No. Like I know it bothers you, so that just makes me <laughs> want to do it more. Like you're aware of that, right? Uh, Montreal, Vegas. Holy, what a sequence. Talk about crazy sequences. Marc-Andre Fleury literally gives the puck away 
to tie the game and bring it to over- overtime. Under two minutes left, Pierre Maguire opened his mouth, and as usual, something bad happened. Uh, he talked about Marc-Andre Fleury's puck handling on the next play, like within the same breath, Marc-Andre Fleury handled the puck, hit it off his own foot, gave it to, was it Josh Anderson? Someone on Montreal, uh, who put it in, brought it to overtime. Overtime, Chris Lee, who I would have before Tim Peel ranked as the second worst referee in the NHL, and after Tim Peel got fired, the worst referee in the NHL, um, missed a call where Corey Perry got two hands slashed in the face, busted his face open, pouring blood everywhere, which pissed me off a lot. And I tweeted this because then it made us feel bad for Corey Perry. And you just don't do that. Like that's against the code. The code is don't make people feel bad for Corey Perry. That's what it is. Uh, they completely missed the call. Perry left the ice. Uh, and then Montreal proceeded to uh, a, a few moments later or a couple, you know, frame shifts later, score to win the game in OT. And then, oh, my God. The Montreal Canadiens, who we thought were lucky to get one game and who had like eight shots after two periods, are up 2-1 against Vegas. They're playing right now, so by the time this podcast is over, we might have another result here. But that series as well, like chaos, just chaos. So I tweeted this after that last Montreal-Vegas game, just kind of facetiously and kind of as a joke, but like I I, I all I meant it. We're at the point now where if you defend NHL refing in the playoffs, I will no longer consider any of your hockey opinions valid. There is a lot of reasons you can hate the refing in this one. I don't in this in these playoffs. I don't care which one you pick, just pick one because there's enough. It's bad. And getting to the point we made before about these new standards in the playoffs, this is what it leads to. You can argue for hard hockey in the playoffs and whatever that means. I can disagree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. Like, put the whistles away, let them play, let the players decide. Again, I don't agree with that point. I see where you're coming from. Or you can be on the other side of call everything because those are the rules. Who cares if that benefits certain teams? I also understand that extreme end of it. I tend to fall in the middle. I call penalties that affect the play. If John Merrill's helmet falls off and he plays a puck, who cares? That didn't affect anything. Like there's always some nuance here, but the unofficial new rules of the playoffs lead to this crap, especially in the Montreal Vegas series has been particularly bad where nobody knows what a penalty is, even the players, because it seems like the refs are just picking them at random. And, you know, every once in a while, they'll call something to save face or to say they're doing something, but then the exact same play will happen three times in the next 10 minutes and nothing is called. You get critical plays like that in overtime. Now, thankfully for Montreal, they still won the game because could you imagine if that happens and then Vegas wins it a couple minutes later? It'd be insane. But if if you wanted playoff style refing, this this is what you're going to get because the refs just make it up as they go and it's usually wrong. So... Uh. It it sucks, but this is what it is. I think something that we're losing sight of is that this is a very – it's an incredibly difficult sport to referee. It's very human. And refs have also been hit hard by this pandemic in the restrictions surrounding uh, the NHL. 
like NHL teams are in a bubble. They they absolutely were, and you know those restrictions are slowly being lifted as teams are becoming vaccinated and as cases are going down, what have you. But uh, the refs really had a rough go of it. Like it's just who like they were practically in isolation. That's a grind. Not only that, you have different systems right now than you'd have in other playoffs where referees are repeating games or you only have so many refs for a series because uh, you you can't have them traveling that much and you kind of need to isolate them. And then you run into issues like this. It's not an excuse for Chris Lee. Terrible call. Um, someone drew up Chris, Chris Lee's numbers and like Montreal is actually at a massive deficit when he's refereeing. Like he he's really harsh against them and like Philly just practically doesn't lose while he's refereeing, which is hysterical to see. Um, but no, back to my point, like it, it, it's, it's been a grind and for such a human element of the sport, these are guys who have just been worked down to the bone in a very unnatural element. I can see how this is a weird, tough year for them. I would hope that after a year of rest and recharge in the NHL, hopefully, I don't know, finds a way to give them some more support, maybe some more guys to help come up and ref games. I don't know what it is. We get back to some normalcy next year. Everything you just said is right, but my counterpoint, the all the extra disadvantages that the referees have this year, which is accurate and fair, um, are only amplifying a problem that's been around for a long time. This isn't new. This is just now worse. So whatever normal is next year, we will probably see. It'll be better than this, and I think you're right on that, but it will still be bad. <sighs> Refing has been significantly worse. Uh, I'd say the past couple years, it's been really bad. I don't know if that's because more things are now going to replay, but we've been, replay's been, like, they've been doing that for 25, 30 years. So uh, maybe the game's just getting too fast, and the refs need to come up with a new methodology a new approach to how they assess penalties on the fly. I don't know, but there's some egregious misses. Even when you just watch the game in real time, they miss obvious plays. So maybe they need to figure out a different structure for how the referees operate during a game. I don't know, but it's they need to assess something in this offseason because missing that Corey Perry one, like that that was a bad miss. And him coming back on the bench uh blood. looking like Carrie um uh, was probably the most obvious yet subtle fu to the refs I've, I've seen in a long time so i don't know they got to change something because if it happens to the red wings when they're back in the playoffs we're gonna lose our goddamn minds oh and god it needs to be fixed before that so they've got about three to five years to figure it out Okay, hold on, hear me out. Before we jump into the rest of the the Max conversation here, I have an idea to solve it all. More reviews. Brad, what do you think? <laughs> and this is my last episode of the Wingwheel Podcast. It's been a ride. You know what would make me happy? Four-hour hockey games. <laughs> oh, so it's funny you bring that up. Um, and I'm going to circle back to one other point I want to jump on, and then I'll get back to what you said. Because anytime I say call everything or close to it people get angry just remember the 2005 2006 season where they did call everything 
One of the least effective teams on this on special teams that year, the Carolina Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup. So playoff hockey is different, but that's because the players make it different, not the refs. So just go back to that. But I did hear, and I can't remember where I heard it, so I apologize to whoever I'm not getting credit for. We don't need more reviews. We need less reviews. And I think I think everybody can agree on that. I don't think that's my hot takery anymore and my pedestal to live and die on. I, from what I can see online, most people have come to that, if not everybody. And this isn't technically a review, but one thing that was brought forward is a fifth ref, so like a third referee, who sits above the ice and has an earpiece with the ref on the ice, not... Eye in the sky. Eye in the sky. And there would be... You put a lot of limitations on it, but a good example would be the Braden Point penalty where he got barreled uh, into Semyon Varlamov and got a penalty for it in which the Islanders scored to tie the game on a play where there is absolutely not a goddamn thing Braden Point could do about it. The eye in the sky could go, hey, Chris, uh, this is what happened. Not a penalty. And then if you can get that message to the ref in the 15 seconds it takes him to get to the box because it's that obvious, you do it. If you have to review it nine times before you can give that ref a definitive answer, the play stands as it's called. So it's not a review. It's just literally to fix the egregious ones. Next whistle. Hey, Chris, Corey Perry just about had his head ripped off. Number eight, Montreal, four minutes. Like, if it is that obvious that the eye in the sky can get it like that, they do it. But if it there's any nuance to it, if it requires multiple looks, it's not worth it. No review. Play goes on. All right. Well, the playoffs continue. Um, we're going to enjoy the Vegas-Montreal game tonight as it goes. That is game four. Um, again, all the refing stuff aside, it's been a blast. I hope both these series go to seven games because that's hysterical. Also, Robin Lehner in net for Vegas tonight. So, wow. Just waiting for that Alan Walsh tweet. Yeah. Uh, but for now, we're actually going to cut back to uh, our interview from part two of our interview from last week with Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit, where we get into a mock draft. It was good fun. We did it just because we wanted to. So, uh, again, part two of our conversation continuing from uh, part one last episode. Max Boltman, The Athletic Detroit. Enjoy. All right. Uh, that was all very well reasoned and far too sound in logic. So, let's rip through something that is complete bullshit, but a lot of fun. Uh, this is at Max's request, so thank Max for this. Uh, we're going to do a tankathon run, and we're going to do a quick mock draft. So I am going to sim this draft lottery right now. What am I simming the no, draft lottery for? Sim. No, it's we done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's muscle memory for you at this point. <laughs> oh, it's wow, been a long it. off season already, eh, buddy? Buffalo, has Seattle. A time accepting reality. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's only been six years since that started. Uh, Max, you are the guest of honor. Do you want to pick first, second, or third here? Uh, I want to pick. Uh, I want to pick if first. Right, you want to pick third. No, I want to pick first. He wants to pick first. All right, Max, you will be drafting for Buffalo. Uh, I'll go for Seattle, and Brad, you will be drafting for Anaheim third. All right, buddy. Take it away. Buffalo Sabres, first overall pick. Who do they take? Owen Power. I think he cemented it uh, at the at the World Championships when he when he was playing that uh, role, uh, high role for, for the men's team. But I also think 
Brad, I know you're not wild about the overall ceiling with Owen Power, but I still think it's there. Like, I still think you look at the whole package, the mobility, the passing. Maybe he's not going to be a point per game guy, but I still think this is a guy who's, who can be every special teams, every situation, you know, 23 minutes a night potential in the NHL. Like, I can't pass that up anywhere in the draft. Oh, relative to the rest of this draft, I, I absolutely understand and, and mostly agree. Relative to other first overall picks, it's not there. I get that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, Jack Hughes, Alexi Lafreniere, Rasmus Dalin deal, but I, I think it's the, it's, to me, this is, it's got the upside and the, the floor. So I'm, I'm on the power train. Well, haven't you read the Facebook comments? Uh, he is Rasmus <laughs> Dalin's replacement. So you can start writing the trade rumors of Dalin to Detroit now. Oh, okay, good. I already had to write it some, <laughs> some Eichel. Uh, I had Eichel headline in my mailbag today. So I saw that. I was like, oh, poor guy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, Seattle Kraken. You know, I'm going to make my pick here, and it's Matthew Beniers, and I think that'll be a really good pick for Seattle, but I don't think it's as cut and dry as people make this out to be. Um, there's a lot of different directions they can go here, and if Seattle wants to take a swing, and they have a very smart team that they're building over there working on, uh, in their front office, if they see a guy who's probably a little bit has a little bit more uncertainty to him that maybe shouldn't and has a higher ceiling, I can see him go for that. If that's a Dylan Genther, if they really believe in Kenton Johnson, something to that effect, don't be too surprised with the shock pick. That being said, I'm going to be boring as hell and go Matthew Beneers from the University of Michigan. I could right, also Brad. see them going with a D though, right? Like like Ron Francis yep. drafted a ton of first round D in Carolina. Like Luke Hughes is right there, Brant Clark is right there, Simon Edvinson's right there. Like there's a I think there's real potential for Seattle to, to make this back to back D at one two. That would be real that would be real fun seeing them draw one of those D. Because again, speaking about uncertainty, so much of that clouds those defensemen. What's their true ceiling? Are you gonna get a guy that's gonna live on the second pairing, or is that gonna be a first pairing guy that everyone's gonna say, Holy shit, why didn't we see this before? A, a Seattle Vancouver Luke Quinn rivalry, you could sell the hell out of that. Dude, I would buy tickets. I don't live anywhere <laughs> close. <laughs> if I'm Seattle, I'm floating the rumor out there that we're taking Luke Hughes just to see if you can get New Jersey to bite on a trade-up. Come up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great call. If, if they believe in the Jack and Luke connection there, they'll have an actual vested interest. Oh, I mean, that's a marketing dream. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Brad. Anaheim Ducks. Third overall. So I, I forgot to ask at the beginning and I need to specify, am I picking on what I think Anaheim will do or what I would do if I'm Bob Murray? I don't know. Max, how did you make your pick? No, that's not one in the same. What would you do? Is No, 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 no. Let's predict this. You want to predict? Okay. Yeah. We, we're going, everyone we're, knows our rankings. We've all, pu- we've all yeah. published our rankings. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. That's that's a more fun one because like I'm, I'm a William... William Eklund truther, so I would take him as soon as I got a chance in here, but I don't think Anaheim will take him. Anaheim is like Carolina. They like to build from the back end out, and it's pretty thin right now after their trades. They've had success drafting a Swedish defenseman in the top 10 before. Everything about Simon Edvinson would appeal to Anaheim here for me. Even though he's much lower on my list, this Edvinson screams an Anaheim pick to me. Yeah, I was looking at this the other day with Anaheim. Like, they're at a really risky place as a franchise. Like, I really like Zegers. I really like Drysdale. I like Comtois. They have this number three pick coming in. And it's like, oh, yeah, they're joining this team with this great 25 to 27-year-old core. 
And then you look and it's like, oh, Raquel, Fowler, Lindholm, like they're about to be 30. Like they're at a really risky spot to get stuck in the middle here. Like I, I, I would have thought forward until I went back and looked and saw that Fowler and Lindholm are way older than I realized. Mm-hmm. All right. Simon Edmondson, third overall. Uh, quite honestly, maybe the only pick that would be easy in this draft in my mind is fourth overall if it shakes out this way. So Max, for the New Jersey Devils, take it away. I will uh, finish off this alley-oop with Luke Hughes. Simple enough. Like Max said, easy as hell to sell. The ownership will love that. Fifth for Columbus. And this is a, a an interesting one because Columbus is facing a reckoning here. And whether you think that's their fault or that's just, you know, happenstance because of the exodus of players who realize they have no interest in being in the state of Ohio, um, whatever it might be, they have a lot to replace and they're going to have to rebuild here. There's been mention of, you know, retool or rebuild on the fly or whatever, what have you. But uh, Davidson and Kekalainen are really going to look to replenish what they lost. I can see Brant Clark being the pick here, and that's what I'm going to go with. I, I think they might uh, take Brant Clark out of Barry. You talk about players who, who have a, a high ceiling but a ton of uncertainty. Um, I think Brant Clark fits that mold. And if, they're, if they believe in him, they're about to lose Seth Jones. What's going to happen to Wierenski? They might want to replenish that high-end blue line. So, Brant Clark, fifth overall to the Columbus Blue Jackets. 4D four, four in the top five. That's incredible. We can only be so lucky. Honestly, like, based on my rankings, the way this has fallen isn't terrible. But if we're looking at organizational needs for the Detroit Red Wings, this is damn near worst-case scenario. There is not really... I guess you could make a case for a center here in Mason McTavish and depending on your thoughts of whether or not you think Kent Johnson is a center, but all the D are gone. The every, everybody's gone. So now it's just, okay. Do you think Kent Johnson is a center? Is McTavish worth reaching for here? But given how this is shaken down, knowing what we know about how the Red Wings have drafted, specifically how they've drafted recently and all the faith in the world that the Red Wings have in their European scouting staff here. I think if the draft shakes down like this and Willie Mecklund is still available, they are going to sprint to the stage to take him. I think they would take a really long, hard look at Ken Johnson and Mason McTavish here. But I think ultimately Eklund's skill is just too much to pass up on at this point for them, for a team that is sorely lacking exactly what he is. You're right that he fits their profile. Like he he does check a lot of these you know compete sense skating boxes. Like I, I, it it is. I, I was thinking that too. I, I think I took Eklund in our staff mock for for that same reason of just like here's a guy who who checks these boxes. Now here's my one hesitation though. This is going to be the fifth straight year the Red Wings have picked in the top ten. If they come out of it with three wingers, like what will you reflect on that and say if if, if they come out of five straight years in the top ten? And they use the outright majority of those picks on the wing. You have to have some kind of hope that Eklund can play center is what I'm thinking. And that might be counter to you know, smart hockey thinking. But you're right, Max. That is a lot of wingers. Yeah, you just shipped one out in Mantha, but then you have one in Verona. Then are you moving Verona at, at a future deadline? And that might have been the case whether or not they had a surplus of wingers. But now that puts it even more on the table. Do you consider going even way more off the board and mortgaging not mortgaging, but moving a piece that you just drafted. I'm not going to say they're going to trade Lucas Raymond, but do you move a Philip Zadina to, to fill out uh, a role you need or a position you need later on? 
It is a surplus. I, I, I have a lot of hesitation because of that same reason. Well, and the lesson you learn when you try to do that is like, oh, right, centers are way more – like, you know, Winnipeg just traded the guy that it took second overall for the center that was picked right behind him, and they had to throw in another first-round pick center to make it happen. Like, like centers just are more valuable, and they may not be the sexier name on draft day, but like two, three years later, you're like, oh, right, they're way more valuable. <laughs> The flip to this is, though, what if the Red Wings do pass up on, you know, I think Genther, Eklund, and Johnson were all here at this pick to take a McTavish, and then one or two of those guys just absolutely goes off, and McTavish is what we think he is, which is a decent second-line center who maybe put up 50-ish points. And then, you know, I would pick whichever one you want, but he's putting up 80 points from the wing as valuable as center is. Eklund? Do you think he's an 80 point guy? Like, I think he's more of like a 50 to 60 point guy. I'm not sure there's a single player in this draft who's an 80 point guy. So I'm just taking who I think is the best of them. And I think Eklund, if anybody has the chance to be an 80 point guy, I think Eklund's the top of the entire draft for me on that maybe pile. It's hard to put up. The, the production that he did in the SHL at his age. There, it, it's, you're right. It, it's hard to put up that kind of production. He's, he's, I mean, on. I'm almost slight, slightly hypocritical because I've argued all year and I think I would still argue that if Lucas Raymond was in this draft, I would probably take him first overall. And Eklund's production this year was damn near identical to Raymond's. And I can't ignore that. That's fair. All right. So uh, I'm San Jose at seven. Yep. Yep. All right, I'll take Genther then. Um, I do think he goes in the top four or five in the real thing, but um, you know, San Jose's weird. Like they need everything, and they're about to have to blow it up. And there's no sign that they've actually started to do that. But I think Genther's BPA here, so that's that's who I'll go with. Yeah, I, I think Genther was a good pick there. I was, you know, I would have hoped as LA that he would have fallen. Um, that would have been nice, but. He, you're right. I don't think he's even falling that far. Uh, I'm picking for LA. <sighs> this is tough. You know, LA has a lot of really strong prospects. They don't necessarily need the center position, but I'm going to go with Kent Johnson here just because I think he has the highest upside in terms of skill. And if he doesn't land at center in the NHL, that's actually not even really a problem. Like stick him on Byfield's wing, right? Like that's not really a huge issue. They're not terribly want for that. Like the Red Wings are. Um, Kent Johnson's not going to fit every GM's mold. We've talked about whether he would fit the Steve Eisman type player that he would draft. And that's a question mark for me. Uh, but you cannot deny the amount of skill that he's going to have or that the, the amount of skill that he has. And if they can tap into that and refine his game, he could be arguably the most skilled player in the draft. So right up there with Genther and Eklund and whoever else you be, believe is there. So yeah, LA, eighth overall, I'll go Kent Johnson. Brad for Vancouver, ninth overall. Oh, Vancouver. This team. I, the nice thing about picking for Vancouver is position doesn't really matter. They're they're hurting everywhere in some shape or another, at least when it comes to depth. Um, in the actual draft, do I think that McTavish makes it to nine? Probably not just because he's a center. I, I wouldn't even be surprised, like I said, if Detroit took him at six for all the reasons you guys laid out. If Beniers is the only center taken in the top eight, I'll be surprised, but I think Vancouver will be pretty happy if McTavish is sitting here at six. He he brings a lot of what they need at a pos- premium position, 
And from a value standpoint, at nine, that's that's a big home run for the Canucks. Is there confirmation bias with McTavish? Are we seeing a lot of just exposure bias, or is this the real deal? I I think it's the real deal. It it's an easy cop out to say, oh well, the OHL didn't have a season, so it's a bit of a wild card when we look at the U18s. He had a really strong U17 year in the OHL. He was a top prospect coming into the OHL. He did play well um, in his loan over in Switzerland. So the U18, it's not confirmation bias. It just, it confirmed what we thought. It was that, okay, yeah, we weren't crazy. He is that good. Let's put him here. All right. Also, one thing to quick add on that, like with McTavish, like if, if you do, this is just kind of scouting the scat, stat line, but to Brad's point, like he was already in the, in like the top half of the first round conversation coming into the season. If there was like a scouting the stat line question you could have, it was probably assists, which I think he only had like 13 and 50 some games in, in his uh, draft minus one year in, in the OHL. Um, and, and I think he only had two in, in his regular season in Switzerland. But then, like more recently, he's an assist per game player or close to it in both the Swiss League playoffs and at the, uh, World U18. So, like, that is also like another thing of like, of just like the recent track record kind of helps assuage one of the few kind of, you know, the, the big knock is skating. But if there was another like kind of stat line one, like, there, there's some, you know, assists that are starting to, to jump onto the, the table too, which I, again, I know that's not like high level analysis, but relevant, I guess. Um, all right. You are Pierre Dorian of the Ottawa Senators, 10th overall, Max. Who are you going with? This would be uh, after my whole kind of top tier of, of nine guys is gone. I think Ottawa could look Wallstead here. Um, this is certainly the range that I think, you know, there's a decent chance Wallstead has already been taken by the time it gets to this point. Um, so I guess it would probably be that, or if you want to venture into the Lucius Coronado uh, range here. Um, they traded for Matt Murray. I could see like that discouraging something like drafting a Wallstead pick, but I could also see an argument that like Wallstead's not going to be here for a couple, two, three years anyway. It's not a big deal. Like, I, I like, I'm not a draft to in the top 10 guy. So this is not me picking what I would do, but I just think. This is the range that we see the Askarovs and the Knights go. This is a team that, you know, on their build could use a, a guy to point to and say, you know, that's the future in net. I think I'm going to predict Wallstead here. I'm happy you did because I think, I don't know why, but I think the Florida situation almost would give Ottawa some hope. Not that that's been resolved. You know, Bobrovsky is a very big elephant in the room for, for Florida, but they are going to see it as, this is me, you know, just conjecture here. They're going to see it as, well, Florida's going to have to deal with it, and they probably will at some point. We have some years, yeah, before Wallstead can come in, and even if he's ready, we'll just really let him uh, mature before bringing him in full-time, and even if he's backing up and we have an expensive backup goalie. Yeah, I, I like that pick a lot, Max. And Murray's only three more years. Like, you figure at least two more that Wallstead's not on this team, so then it's just like Murray handing the, the torch off to, to Wallstead in year three. Like, I, I think it makes sense. Yeah. Worst case, uh, you know, he comes in, he wins the starting job, you have an expensive backup, but that team's competing all of a sudden with a hot young goaltender is what it is. Um, 
Pick 11, obviously, is Arizona, who forfeit because they are cheaters. Pick 12 uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks. I think at this point, you're taking best player available. And in my mind, that's probably Chaz Lucius off the board. Um, this is about the range that I think he's going to go in from the USN TDP. Um, does he stick at center? Again, I don't really think that would even be a priority for Chicago. But if he does, that is a re- great way to replenish some uh, center depth or you know center skill that might go away in the future. So, yeah, I don't know if Ch- Chaz Lucius actually goes this low. But uh, that's who I'll go with for Chicago. Brad, you are going in for Calgary 13th. Another team that's on the fringe of a rebuild here. So Calgary needs a lot of things in their pipeline. It's not one of the deeper prospect pools in the NHL. God knows if they're going to be acquiring a ton of picks, if they decide to go nuclear, or if they try to retool on the fly, or if they stand pat. Um, I think this is Calgary strikes me as a very safe team. They don't like to really shake the boat too much. They like what they know. They've probably had a lot of time to look at Cole Sillinger here and they do have a need for a shooter. He's not, he wouldn't be my pick here, but Everything about him, the fact that he played in their backyard in his in his w, WHL season, I think they'd be comfortable picking him and he does fill a need for them. So I, I think I, I'd predict Calgary to go Cole, Cole Sillinger here. All right. Uh, Max, is this an easy pick for you for Philly at 14? Should it be easy? You're making me second guess. No, no. I'm just wondering. Like, There's a player coming down the board pretty hard here, at least in terms of what my rankings would be, and I'm wondering if this is just the best player available. I am going to take that player. I assume you're talking about Fabian Lucelle. Yeah. Um, I'm not like a huge like Lucelle truther. Um, I, he's super you know, skill, fast, good shot, all that stuff. Um, I just think like, people don't value enough like how scary risk is in an NHL draft, like what the risk that a team faces in the top 15 of, of a swing and a miss. And I think it's boom bust. There's no doubt about that. But like we, we only get to dream about boom when we're like on the outside looking in, they gotta, they gotta worry about bust. And so like, I, I, to me, I don't think this is a crazy range for him. I too, I'm going to take, I think Philly could use that guy, but like, I don't think that's crazy if he gets here, is it? It's not crazy. I actually don't think anything is – obviously, nothing is crazy. That's the byline with this draft. You know, there's a guy you can take second overall that might go 12, but there are enough Lucelle truthers where I think it would be a little bit peculiar to me. I'm not – I wouldn't put money on it. I guess that's the way I put it. Um, The Stars at 14. I don't really know where to go with this one. Uh, Coronado speaks to me here. Um. Does Atu Ratu come up the board? Does Carson Lambos come up the board? Are those guys firmly in the 20s? Does Logan Stankovin come into play here? I, I kind of struggle a lot. I'm almost seeing a situation, and this might be some kind of recency bias that I'm giving that I'm giving into. Does Brendan Othman keep shooting up the board because he does one thing? really well not one thing really well but he has that one asset that teams are really going to want and that's putting pucks in the net does that fit dallas's needs i actually am not really sure if that's what they'd go for my crazy pick for this one my bullshit weird just a gut feeling pick will be brendan Othman here 
Um, he's my player that I, that we we talked about him last episode, and I think there's going to be a lot of interest in him. That's going to probably keep that steam up till the draft, and he'll probably go before where I would personally draft him, but he'll keep shooting up those rankings. So yeah, Brendan Othman. I'll stop. You know, word vomiting here. And uh, I think we have one more pick off the board, and that is the. New oh, are we York not Rangers. going to twenty three? Do, do, do you guys want to go to twenty three? I don't know. Yeah. Brad's got Brad's got uh, places to be here. We're, I have, I haven't got the text yet, so we're doing fine. All right, sweet. Let's do it, Brad. You're the New York Rangers. You're Chris Drury. Recently hired Gerard Gallant. Who are you taking with pick sixteen? The Rangers have every reason to gamble here. They have a deep prospect pipeline. They have a deep team. They don't really need to draft for positional need here. So, again, not wouldn't be my pick, but given the position they're in, they can really swing for the fences here. So, there's one guy on the board that really stands out in that sense to me here. Uh, I could see the Rangers going for Atu Ratu here. Yeah, I... Uh I struggled with picking him much higher or picking him with the Dallas pick, but I think people shouldn't be surprised to see him in that range. All right. How funny would it be for the Rangers to move up in consecutive lotteries to get number one or number two overall pick? And then in the third year following those two, a pre presumptive number one overall pick just falls to them at 15 and he actually lives up to the pre-hype. That'd be hilarious. He pans out. Max, don't bring that into this. The prophecy is always self-fulfilling. All right. St. Louis Blues. Max, go ahead. I'm torn. There's a couple guys here that I really like. Um, What does St. Louis need more? I'm going to pick a guy who I don't think is getting enough buzz. And I I haven't watched a ton of his game. I've watched a little bit. But Corson Kuhlman's out of the AJHL. This is a player who, for, for being a... Six foot one right shot D who outscored Brant Clark and on the same team at the same tournament is not getting enough buzz, is he? Yeah, yeah, he's not. I'm, a, right. I'm a big fan of him. There's enough question marks with his game that that not not to the same extent as Fabian Lucell, but I see a lot of those same conversations happening with him just for different reasons. But yeah, the upside pick here is absolutely worth it. This is a guy who I I would advocate for if I was in Steve Eiserman's uh you know uh circle of trust here. This is a guy that I would advocate actually moving up to go get just because it's it's the blend of the upside and like look, I know it's the AJHL, there's not like this great track record, but that's the room. Like this like there's a chance you look back and Corson Coleman should have gone top ten here. Like this is not one I'd be shy to move up to do if, if he's sitting here at seventeen. Yeah, I'm Kevin Cheveldayoff here with um the pick right after for when oh, they could have used him too. <laughs> yeah, I'm pissed if you're taking Coolman's, and that's why I'm going to go with Carson Lambos with the next pick. But yeah, I think you have it completely right with Coolman's where you where you took him. So Carson Lambos to Winnipeg, they're going to want to continue to focus on defense there. But kudos to you for that pick, Max. How happy is Carson Lambos to go from Winnipeg and Junior to Winnipeg in the NHL and just be stuck in Winnipeg forever? We'll just move yeah. his bag down the street. Yeah. Hope you have a favorite restaurant, buddy. The weather's not going to change. All right, Brad, you are picking for the Nashville Predators here, 19th. Oh, man. This one, he's not this high on most people's boards. He's higher than this on my board. But for the type of 
player Nashville likes, their lack of offense. Does this pick just not scream Logan Stankman? Like this is he is a perfect Nashville player. And skill-wise, in my opinion, should have went several picks before this. I can dig it. I I uh I could see him sliding a little bit. I mean it's the five eight thing, but I can dig it for sure. All right, Max for the Edmonton Oilers and Ken Holland. Who are you gonna take? Yeah, I mean they're gonna be thrilled if Sebastian Kosa is here, right? Goalie of the future for them that they can raise local kid. I don't know if he's a local kid, but he plays for the for the Edmonton WHL team. I think that's a slam dunk. So so we picked the kid playing in Medicine Hat. Well, at least it, when the WHL was running last year for Calgary, we picked the kid playing in Winnipeg for the Jets, and we picked the kid playing in Edmonton for the Oilers. I think we, we might be trying to don't point this out. Don't point this out. <laughs> I was like, man, Max just took two goal, the first two goalies off the board in this draft. This is a message to Prashant. This is a big middle finger to Prashant. Here. No, it's predictive. It's predictive. <laughs> this is not what we would do. I washed my hands of that before I made either pick. You in, know for in a fact. Max's defense. Oh, I'm going to get texts about it. There's no <laughs> doubt, but I, I've, I'm putting it out there. I, this is predictive. L- listen, in Max's defense, I listened to, uh, his episode where I actually asked the question on their podcast with him and Corey on the athletic, who's the guy that could slip in the top 10 that nobody's talking about. And Corey's answer was Kosa. So, Oh man, uh, Max, just so you know, I am clipping out every single instance where we uh, affirm that this is predictive just to make it worse for you. <laughs> so this part's getting clipped out too. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> no, no, messing with you. Um, okay, I'm going for the Boston Bruins here, 21st overall. And in my mind, if they have a player of Matthew Coronado's caliber down that low, they're going to jump at it. All right. Such uh, a Boston pick, too. It really is. The name is just a Boston name. I can already hear uh, Edwards screaming it. Yeah, Matty Coronado. Oh, my God. That's, All right. That's, that's more New York, but whatever. <laughs> He's a New York kid, I think. Honestly, I can never do any of the accents. I always end up bleeding one to the other, and then I end up doing New Jersey, which I couldn't do if I tried. It's probably pretty offensive. I shouldn't do it at all. If you ever need to fall into a Boston accent, just re- always remember Max of Adfatted on an Advac. That wasn't bad, Brad. Uh, bad Brad. I thought you were going to go Pock the Cod, Havid Yad, but that was way more entertaining. <laughs> that was a great commercial. Uh Brad, you are picking a friend for Kirill the Thrill, Minnesota Wild, 22nd overall. Man, who'd have thought we'd be sitting here and saying, offense, Minnesota? Nah, they're all right. Uh, (laughs) I still think that will be the path here. Honestly, I'm a little surprised both these guys have fallen this far. And a lot of teams are scared off by the Russian factor, but it seems to be working for Minnesota right now. So if they want to get Kirill the Thrill a friend, why not take Russia's captain and a uh, high offense guy here in uh, Nikita Shibrikov? So seems like a really, really fitting pick for Minnesota right now. I really like that pick. That's a big, that's a, that's a nice swing that they can take here at 22. Bill Guerin's a little wild too. I can definitely see him doing it. All right, Max, you've well positioned yourself to select a Steve Eisman twice here. Um, who are no, you going to take? I only did it once. Oh, that's right. Brad did it the first time. My bad. I right, just Max. copied his 
pick in uh, the athletic mock draft. Who did you take? You took Eklund? Yeah. Yes. I so did. I don't need to worry about doubling up on like centers or D or anything like that. No. I do think a wing pick here would be probably pretty frustrating for people if they take two wings in the first round. I was I, hoping that I, Costa would fall this far just to put you through the dilemma. Oh, I would have. I would have. If, if he gets to them at twenty three, there that's a that's a no doubter for them, isn't it? I you will not, so? not for what no. I would do, but predictively, I'm just like I that's... don't think so. I, there's a lot of question marks with Costa. I don't think he's a slam dunk as high okay. as people have him. Um, that being said, I'm not gonna. I am gonna put some pressure on you because based on position, what the Red Wings like and what the Red Wings need. There is a guy absolutely screaming off my list right now, and I'm curious to see if you take him. What a jackass. <laughs> I, I did that to be an asshole. I just, and again, also remember, I'm always wrong. So if you don't pick the guy, it means you're probably right. Well, now I'm trying to figure out who you're talking about. What the Red Wings like and what the Red Wings need. I mean, my inclination here was going to be leaning toward another Russian in Fedor Svechkov. Um, but let me see if I can guess who you're referring to here. I'm pulling up the Bob McKenzie list on the side. Svetkov. Are you referring to like a Zach LaRue kind of thing? or No, I have Zach LaRue in my second round personally. So Okay. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm going to go with, with Fedor Svechkov. Svechkov. I'm going to make that mistake a billion times if they draft him. It was Fedor Svechkov. That's exactly okay, what great. I was thinking Perfect. of. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's a really reaffirming pick there. So Svechkov, Svechkov's ranked around there, right, in McKenzie's rankings? Or was he uh, in the second round? I know I have him in the mid-teens, pulling up McKenzie's rankings quickly. McKenzie has him at 30, so it's not by any means a slam dunk. But he's another guy like McTavish who really helped his draft stock in the U18s. Yeah, two-way center. It's their profile. It's, it's a little, I mean, the Russia factor, it takes a little longer. You deal with it, but they haven't rushed their guys anyway. Like, that to me does not seem like something that's going to scare them off. And look at Tampa Bay right now. Steve Eisman does not give two shits about the Russian factor. Tampa Bay has Russians? Weird, right? I don't know, Max. Haven't you heard Brad shout about it on this podcast? <laughs> Uh, all right, a recap of this quick mock draft. Uh, first overall, Buffalo took Owen Power. Seattle took Matty Beneers. Uh, Anaheim took Simon Edvinson. New Jersey, shockingly, took Luke Hughes. Um, Columbus took Clark. The Red Wings took William Eklund. Uh, the San Jose Sharks took Genther. The LA Kings took Kent Johnson. Uh, the Canucks took Mason McTavish. Uh, Wallstedt to Ottawa, 10th overall. Arizona gets nothing at all. They lose. Uh, 12th overall to Chicago, Chaz Lucius. 13th to Calgary is Sillinger. 14th to Philly is Lucell. 15th to Dallas is Othman. I'm already regretting that pick. 16th to New, uh, New York is Atu Ratu. St. Louis, 17th, Kuhlman. Kuhlman's uh, 18th uh, to Winnipeg is Lambos. 19th to Nashville, Stankoven. 20th. Ken Holland in Edmonton is taking uh, Kosa. 21st, Boston, Coronado. 22nd, Shibrikov to Minnesota. And 23rd overall, the Detroit Red Wings are selecting uh, Svechkov. Fedor, Fedor Svechkov, who played in the VHL, right, last year? That's what it was? Sure. 
I think we're all in agreement, though, that if the Red Wings come away from this first round with William Eklund and Fedor Svechikov, we're going to be doing backflips for a few days because that is damn near best case scenario. You get your high skill, possibly highest skill player in the draft at six, and then you get the two-way center that you so covet with your next pick who actually has some legitimate high upside. Yeah, that it'd be a really good start to the draft. I mean, I like okay. So here's one thing I was thinking about the other day, and this is this will come up when I do my next uh, written mock draft. So obviously, super defense heavy at the top. How many D are left at 23 in this range that you would really like at either 23 or 38? Like, how many D that you'd be like really excited about are are there here? Because I'm not sure there's that many. I don't yeah, see a lot. Jump into me. There, there isn't my my guys for defense. At least based on my rankings around this pick for the Red Wings are Lambos and Coolmans, and they both went well. Ahead I think of the they will. Pick. I think they'll go in the top twenty. Yeah, that's yeah. Why I'm I, just, that's another reason why I was talking about like the potential for a trade up if if one of them sitting there in that seventeen eighteen range is like that's a guy that you feel pretty good about in the top twenty, and there's not a comparable guy that's going to fall to you. I don't. Yeah, just looking through it, I don't have another defenseman ranked until the second round. Yeah. So, so it's just something to think about. Like if Shake is there for you with your first second round pick, are you jumping at that or are you really kind of uninspired? I don't think he'll be there, but I think he could be there. Like he didn't have a blow you away year. Like it was, you know, that the the potential was definitely clear in the OHL, but like I don't know. I mean maybe that maybe that's something that falls into your lap and he he slides to you and you that's that's the way you benefit from this year is he didn't, you know, blow you away this year and raise his stock or anything, but yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm not like over the moon about that. I'm not over the moon about Sheikha either, but looking at the defensemen high in that second round, the guys that you see in these rankings a lot, they all come with high potential but huge question marks. Sheikha, you've got, you know, the high school kid in Scott Morrow, you've got the small guy in Sean Barons. You're wondering, you know, will Sfosiel translate? So th- there's no good bets in the second round this year. So you are just swinging on upside and praying if you take a defenseman there. Does that influence you? I mean, in our mock that we just did, none of the 4D get to Detroit at six, but does that influence you at all there? Like like you're saying, like this is a deeper draft at forward? Not even a little. Um, if the Red Wings' strength of their farm system is at defense right now, so I'm perfectly comfortable. If the Red Wings do not take a single defenseman this entire draft, I'm not upset about it. I don't think th- that's extreme. It's not going to happen. But if the Red Wings' first three, four, five picks are forwards, I'm totally fine with that because that is the weakness of their system and the strength of this draft once you get out of the top 10 i think that's legit i mean like ultimately you're not going to pick 13 forwards or or 11 forwards and two goalies or whatever but like again i again i also think i know that trading up just doesn't happen all that much but it does just reinforce like if you're gonna make one of these moves and and you already think you're gonna come out of this thing with four forwards out of the first three rounds or whatever you wouldn't mind packaging you know, I wouldn't think you'd mind packaging one of those seconds to get up four spots in the in the mid to, to late first round. I don't know. It's it's funny because the depth in this draft and the uncertainty of it. This this is the draft which is textbook like trade back, just get more picks and take as many swings. But at the same time, the Red Wings have infinity picks. If there's ever a draft for Detroit to trade up. With how many players they already have in the system, this is also the draft to do it, which is kind of fun from our standpoint because they could do anything and we could justify it. Yeah, I, I, they could do anything, and I, I would see the logic to it. And that's uh, it, it's a it's a tough spot to be in prepping, but it's an exciting spot to be in. I'm sure for everybody 
listening and reading. So, All right. Max Boltman, The Athletic, if you don't subscribe, do it. It's uh, worth the price of admission was actually a phrase coined after someone read Max's work on The Athletic Detroit uh, when he started there in 2017. So uh, make sure you go do that. Max, I think our next step here is to, um, in a little while, we'll do another iteration of this mock draft. We'll make sure Prashant is here. And we'll make sure you are positioned to take a goalie every single time around. So. All right, I can. I think I could be. Uh, I could be persuaded to do that. Thanks for having me on, guys. Though it's it's, yeah. it's great to uh, great to hear you both and see you both. It's been it's been too long since we've been able to get together because of the the border closure. But uh, I'm still tuning into episodes when when I can. And you guys are doing an awesome job. Appreciate it, man. And uh, fingers crossed that uh, those circumstances change. will be in your face pretty soon here. Awesome. I'm counting on it. All right. And welcome back. That was our quick little mock draft with uh, Max Boltman. Uh, Brad, do you even remember your picks? Yes, absolutely. William Eklund. Do you think it's going to shake out that way with Eklund yeah. falling to six? Well, this was our predictive one, so it's fully possible. There's not many picks I'm certain on, though. There's there's certain teams you know what they need and the board will fall their way so it's a little safer um i think we can all agree om power is going to buffalo we know matt Beniers is not gonna slip to detroit too many teams need sanders and he's legitimately good enough to go in the top five i think seattle's a safe bet there because center is a good starting point Anaheim's the weird one for me. I think they're going to go defense. I went with Edvinson because he fits their usual criteria, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if it's Hughes or Clark. Um, I think if it's Hughes, New Jersey might run over there and stab them because I think Hughes to New Jersey is a pretty safe pick given what they need, talent level, and the obvious connection to his brother. Columbus is a big wild card. They need everything. Um. If it goes anything like what we had it, I'll be happy because, again, I just want as many people from my top six to be there for Detroit at six and in ours, two players who fell out of my top six were taken, which means if, you know, Eklund or Genther or John Eklund, Genther or Johnson are sitting there for the Red Wings, I'm happy, assuming that's who the Red Wings pick. They, yeah, they can throw a curveball. So. Yeah, I, I think I'm more than likely not going to be very happy with the Red Wings pick, but pff, Eklund would be the dream scenario, but thirty-five to forty percent chance at best. I like right, well, he he really strikes me as a guy Columbus is going to like a lot. We're going to save that. We're going to do more on that next time. Let's focus this prospect talk on one single prospect here for today's uh, NHL draft prospect profile. And that's none other than Atu Ratu, who you might think his name is pronounced Atu Ratti, but I've been told that is wrong. So formerly touted as a possible number one overall pick has tumbled down the standings, but uh, might, funny enough, be in range for the Red Wings again with their second first round pick. So finish centerman Atu Ratu. Um we we got a comment asking, uh, you know, why we rip on Evan so much for saying, well, what else is there to say? And we don't let him go first. So, Evan, I'm going to give you the option. Do you want to go first here? I can. I, I, for it. I Do think you want to is the question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I can do it. All right. Um, go. Atu Ratu um, was 
unreal as a 17-year-old, and I thought for sure he was going to be the first overall pick this year. Well, 2020 is unlike anything else, and he did not have a step forward in his development that I thought he'd have and a lot of other people thought as well. Um, I I think he split ended up splitting time between the, what do they call their top league? Finnish Superliga. Yeah, that yeah. one. And the the U twenty team. Um, in terms of his skill set, I don't think he's got great top end speed, but it's not bad. He's very agile, which I which I think is really good. Um, he's got an okay shot. I think he's more of a playmaker, in my opinion. Um, I think he plays a f- pretty decent two way game. Um, what else? Did I really notice about him? I'm trying to think back about uh, World Juniors two years ago since he got left off this year's team. Um, he's got really great hands. Uh, I think that's going to be one of his defining skill sets along with his 200-foot game. Um, will he go in the top 10? I don't think so anymore, but I I don't think he'll be there for Detroit at uh, 23 or 22, whatever it is. Uh, What's it? The twenty third player, twenty second player taken by the twenty third pick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Um, if he's there for Detroit, I would be quite intrigued for them to pick him just to see what there is. Mind you, it depends who also is there uh, at that pick. The only concern I really have with him is the fact that he. Made the world junior team as a 17-year-old, which is phenomenal. Very few players ever do that. Um, And then doesn't even get invited back to camp the following year. So I don't know if that's something to do with him or if it's just terrible selection by uh, the Finnish program. I would need to do some deep dives and some research into why that maybe was the case. Um. But, I mean, in terms of value at 23, I, I think he would be an excellent pick. I like his game. He's just had a not a great year of production. Um, but I think he's worth taking taking a swing at. Before I throw it at Brad, not Superliga, just Liga. Brad was right. I don't know why I said Superliga mixing up. Is it SM Liga or is that a different one? No, it's SM Liga. They just, they've been calling it Liga for you know, a few years now at least. Does that literally just mean League? I'm sure it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, Brad, feel free to jump in here. Well, what else is there to say? Hey, what have I told you? Hey, Don't whoa, that's it- I was going to go third, and I got to say that. Piss off, buddy. I Ryan very up. rarely get to steal one of Evan's bits. Ryan, I'm we'll let we'll you. We'll we'll make this a class action suit this time. Thank you. Yeah, this is how Evan got rich, and I I I, I now understand. So thank you, Evan, for bringing me on board. He he has been hit by so many cars that he has just limped his way into billions. Wet floor signs are just bullseye for me. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, Atu Ratu, um, interesting because the feel I get with him is all of the tools, but you wonder about the toolbox because he checks most boxes. I think his skating deficiencies get over 
blown a little bit just because his north-south isn't great, but he's good east-west, good on his edges, good agility. Um, so that can compensate for some of the skating deficiencies. Good shot, good playmaker. He's pretty equal distributor between, you know, setting up his teammates and taking the shot himself. He competes pretty well, um, which is a knock I've seen some people give him, but most people who watch him tend to agree. He's He brings energy out there. He moves around. He cares. He's got a good 200-foot game, so he, he'll... He can do anything on the ice you want him to. He wins puck battles. He's got really good hands, especially in tight spaces. So everything that you look at with the tools, this should be a no-brainer top 10 pick, especially in a weaker draft. Then you have to look at the fact that at 16-year-old, as a 16-year-old, he looked like he was going to be a damn phenom. At 17, the Phenom talk had cooled, but he was still a good bet for first overall. And then 18, it all went off the rails. So that's two years of not necessarily regression, but the progression is nowhere near where it should have been. That's a gigantic red flag, especially when the tools are there, because it's making you wonder what in the hell is actually going on here. And nobody has a good answer for it. I think it was Scott Wheeler did a pretty good piece on kind of his background in his season and how he needed to reset because mentally he wasn't in a good place. And that's great. And it's amazing that he can admit that and take ownership of it and try to fix it. But the counter argument to that from a scouting perspective is, well, the NHL is more stressful. So you do have to factor that in because if he can't handle it in lesser leagues, it's not a good sign. Um, for his sake, whatever it was, I hope he's over it and this doesn't become a factor in his hockey career at all. I mean, if Robin Leonard can get through it in the middle of his NHL career, hopefully this is it for Ratu. Um, but yeah, it's his production hasn't been there for a couple years. I don't know. It's intriguing, but there's just so many red flags between his production, his regressions, his being left off teams, not invited to camps. For what it's worth, he is at Finland's um, U-20 showcase uh, for this summer. So it looks like he's a good bet to be back on the junior team at least. So it's not like he's burned bridges uh, with the Finnish team. So I don't think this is a case of an attitude problem, which is usually the case when you see a guy make a junior team and then get left off. Don't so I don't know. Checks the boxes. He's, he's quick enough, good skill, competes well. All things the Red Wings look for, but I just can't get past that. Uh, again, I don't want to say regression. That's not the right word, but that lack of progression. Genuinely, though, what else is there to say is the appropriate phrase here? Uh, that's Atu Ratu finish center. Um, I feel like a team's going to take a gamble. I think Evan's right that he won't fall to Detroit. More, The more I do look at him, the more I'm less inspired to make him an automatic pick there. Hardly angry because, you know, let's say Detroit takes him. He's a centerman. They've managed to tap into whatever is lost for this past season. Boom, that's that's a great first round. But I, I'm erring more on the side of the tumbling down the, the standings is a little bit more justified. But this this is the type of prospect – well, first, I should mention in our mock draft with Max, as you all heard, he didn't make it to Detroit's pick. Sorry about that. 
kind of circling back to something Kat said, this is the type of prospect. If you pick him, you have to have full faith in your development team to get everything out of him all the way up and down the chain. I don't think the Red Wings have that yet. They might there as Ken Daniels uh, told us, there's been a lot of turnover behind the scenes since Steve Eiserman took over, which, you know, means there could be some hope there, but in terms of draft picks meeting their ceilings in Detroit, it hasn't happened often. No, very few times, actually. So if if he does make it, I don't know if Detroit's the team that should do it. Okay. That is our draft prospect profile on Atu Ratu. Um, more to come on him because he will be one of the more relevant picks for Detroit's other first round pick. But for now, uh, we are going to start wrapping up uh, the main segment and heading into overtime. Overtime is a segment where we take fan and listener uh, questions and comments, starting with our Patreon supporters. Um, when we read out their questions, it's a big sign of appreciation because they're the reason this show happens and we are able to do what we do. For better or worse. So we're going to start with Joe Valeno's eyebrows, which is on point. Uh, it says, good day there, lads. Uh, Shay Evan Weber played his bearded socks off again to get Montreal up 2-1 over Vegas. He has to be exhausted after games like that and then six days of golf. I uh, just wanted to say the Ken Daniels interview was one of the most moving pieces I've ever heard. And he, along along with Mickey Redmond, are both international treasures. Looking at Tatar's situation in Montreal, do you think there is a possibility for a kind of short term low money deal to be made to try and bring him back he's been a healthy scratch throughout the playoffs but he could be a good mentor for someone like Bergman or Raymond I like the Tatar option and I'm not even going to say it's impossible because teams are going to be strapped to the cap again so you might run into uh, run into a Duclair situation again where a guy is a really good player has proven he's a really good player but is just not getting the money he wants so not guaranteed I think someone will probably pick up the, the tab on Tatar, but I would love to have him back in Detroit. Um, also can't help but wonder what Vancouver are going to do with that ninth pick, giving their cap troubles. Uh, I wonder if they move it to relieve their, relieve their cap situation in some kind of way. If they, if they would and bending would, Detroit could absolutely take advantage. Cheers, as always, boys. Loving your work from down under. Terry, driver of Crying Ryan, Ryan Hanna's Banana Slamma Jamathong, says, Good day, dud duds. Terry here. Since Mantha's been traded and this talkie show is okay with Bertuzzi being traded, then why not Larkin? He has the best trade value and will be around 27 or 28 when we're finally ready to compete. It's fair and it's fair to hold that standard. However, there's two things at play here. One, he's the captain, which does matter. Two, he is the Red Wings' only good centerman. The only one. So even if Larkin is 32 and playing decent hockey at center, he will still be more valuable than a lot of current wingers on this team are right now. That to me makes it a lot more difficult to move him. And the most important point to me is you can't go full Buffalo. You cannot go nuclear. You have to have some players to stick with this team through the rebuild. And Larkin, as the captain, is probably one of the better bets. If Verona does it, great. If Bertuzzi does it, great. But I have less faith in those latter two to still be good contributing players in their late 20s and 30s. Not saying they won't be, but I think Larkin's probably the best bet of the three because he's the best player. Grew up in Michigan, wears the C. He'll be the guy that shuttles the team from bad too good 
Nick Geyer says, what's up, guys? Uh, question for you. What's the best hockey play you've seen live? I don't live near Detroit, but I, uh, so I haven't been to many games. But for me, it was November 27th, 2015. Larkin to Cronwall and OT against Edmonton. It was uh, Datsuk's last season, I believe. Happy Father's Day, and I hope the lawns are mowed and the beers are cold. That's a tough one for me to answer because I grew up every time I went to games was watching Nick Lidstrom or Brendan Shanahan or Steve Eisman or, you know, thereafter Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg. So easily something from Datsuk's highlight reel, maybe. More recently, that <laughs> that playoff play, Brad, the Dallas game, Mantha's four-goal game, that ring around where we saw it once and never saw it again. So it's hilarious you bring that up because the first two that came to my mind did not result in goals for Detroit. <laughs> I haven't had a lot of luck going to games in which something like a singular crazy play happens. But I remember that around the horn one against Dallas where Kudobin made the glove save. The other one that came immediately to my mind was Athanasius double spinorama where he just missed the net on the shot. Like we were losing our minds in the stands. Yeah. Uh, when that happened. Um, that being said, the Yokum Anderson toe drag backhand to set up Athanasius for the one timer game winner that game probably is the top of my list of ones I've seen live. So I'll go with that. Uh, I'm thinking of the game you and I went to, Evan, the Boston game, where it was just probably the worst hockey game of all time. We sat with our head in our hands. memorable for, for the wrong reason. Oh, God, that was awful. I, uh, I think both of those, what was, I think, was the other game the, a Florida Panthers game? Something like that, yeah. And I think you and I said like six words to each other combined between oh, yeah. both those games. It was so bad. Easily the biggest waste of a weekend we've ever had. Yeah. Terrible. Hold on, I have the most obvious answer, and I completely forgot about it. Because again, it wasn't a goal, but it lives in infamy. We've all seen that Pavel Datsuk gif where he's coming around the Red Wings net and he makes a move with the two Sharks defenders closing on him. But in the gif, they like make him disappear and then reappear as the Sharks players ram into each other. I was yeah. at that game. I was like a uh. hundred feet away from that play behind that net. So I have to go with that one. That was Mike Greer, right? One of the players. Pretty sure it was. I can't remember, but it was like, I think Detroit yeah, was. was up big at that point too. So it was like 5 nothing, 5-1, something like that. So everybody was already in a good mood laughing it up. So when that happened, it was amazing. Uh, Jake Kiefer says, hypothetically, Raymond comes over to Grand Rapids next year and is at or above a point per game. Should Eisman not call him up to Detroit to avoid him being on a bad team and build ha bad habits? I... You call him up to play his nine games and then whether or not you keep him should be, in my mind, solely on whether or not you want to slide his contract. Forget bad habits. You keep this coach. You keep this coaching staff. You have to know that you want to keep him. We will talk about developing bad habits for down the lineup players or players that aren't surefire stars because they have a lot of growing to do in their games still. Lucas Raymond's not one of those players. This guy has legitimate star potential. Like this guy could make all-star teams in the future. I have less concerns with guys like him and Mo Sider coming into a bad team. They'll be able to handle it. If Lucas Raymond is dummy in Grand Rapids and he looks too good for that league, you bring him up. I don't care if there's three games left in the season or 40 games left in the season. If he's ready he's ready and with a guy like him that's the beauty of it you don't have to overthink it 
Uh, Colorado 14ers says the only top 10 prospect I'm worried about is Edmondson. Uh, I've seen too much uh, about um, leading to a, or too much about leading to a lack of intelligence and decision making. Uh, and to me, that supersedes his size and skating ability. The other problem is the wings need guys on the left side more than the right. If the top five go power, Beneers, Eklund, Hughes, and Genther, my hope is that the wings take a chance on guy like Lucelle or Johnson, or better yet, take Clark, even though he shoots right. I just think Edmondson should be completely avoided. But if anyone convince me, can convince me otherwise, otherwise, uh, I'll sleep much better. Comes back to that point I made about how much faith do you have in your development team? Because the tools are there. Like, he's a fringe top 10 guy on my list. Like, I'm not super high on him. I get why people are. But, yeah, there's not a reality here where he'd be my pick for Detroit at six. Just because I very comfortably have six or seven or eight players ahead of him. Um, but if they pick him, I, I get it, and I'd still be excited about it. I would just have, like you, more cautious optimism. Josh Brink says, first off, happy Father's Day. Was Zadina getting a second-place vote for the Bing? Who in the Red Wings organization is most likely to win a major award first? I feel like Cider could win some Norris votes in the future, and Raymond might get some Bing or Selkie love, and Shane Wright will most likely win a Calder. Um, I would say one of the Red Wings rookies, if not – Dylan Larkin for a Selkie, maybe. I would lean more towards rookies. Yeah. Um, if Raymond spends the entire next season in Grand Rapids but plays really well, I think he's a good bet for Calder the year after because it would he'd be right in the mix with Shane Wright, except he'd have the benefit of being two years older. Um, I think Sider's got an outside shot at a Calder this year. He's the best defenseman not in the NHL right now, but it's harder for defensemen to win this award, but still not out of the realm of possibility, not that great a draft. So I don't think anybody from this draft is going to have a better season than he will. So yeah, unfortunately for major awards like Hart, Selkie, Bing, I don't see anybody on this team contending for one. Maybe Bernie goes nuts and gets a Vesna this year. Uh, Jeff Petrie's eyeballs says eyeballs say what a weekend for sports. You go from Pulak's save to Katie hitting the tying shot to force OT to a good morning of F one with Max overtaking Lewis in the second to last lap. Uh, with the wings being awful and uh, having them being so for a while, it's nice to be able to enjoy the playoffs without much vested interest. How shitty does the officiating have to be to make us feel bad for Perry? What has happened in the simulation? This can't be re- real. We need to reset. With the Habs, I keep thinking of Merrill when he was mic'd up and got tangled up with Hedman um, <laughs> when he said, Victor. Uh, final exams in the next two days in my life will look a lot easier afterwards for the next month or two. Thanks for all the great content and for giving a quick reprieve from all the craziness uh, this past nursing block. Number one, Steve Ott fan says, after seeing the success of the Habs in the playoffs, I f- officially hopped on the Wallstedt wagon. They're proof you can build a cup contender with a shutdown right-handed defenseman, a right-handed defenseman that's horrible defensively, but has a super hard, albeit inaccurate shot. A great two-way forward, a bad coach who was reluctant to play good young players in favor of grit, uh, and an elite goalie drafted in the top 10, all while losing the majority of the regular season games. We're so close. Okay couple things. One, Montreal deserves all the credit they get for getting this far. That is no small feat. They have been incredibly lucky along the way, and you can't argue that as well. Toronto did not have John Tavares for that whole series. Mark Shifley 
did not play for most of the Jet series. And now Vegas's number one center, Chandler Stevenson, has not played most of this series. So they've missed three number one centers in three series while Carey Price goes God mode, even though, let's not forget, Montreal almost didn't even make the playoffs. So I am absolutely not buying into this. Again, they've played their asses off. They, the players deserve what they've gotten, but they have also gotten very lucky. And also, it's weird that nobody's mentioned in Corey Pronman's latest rankings, Jesper Wallstedt is not the top-ranked goalie. So, um, that's interesting. Haven't heard a lot about that from the Wallstedt crowd yet. Um, Brad, stop hmm. picking fights. Listen, man, it's... I know. I know. I like Kosa. I like Wallstead. Just no, don't. Not in the top 10. No. Don't. Brad do is you. now going to have to have Twitter fights with Montreal fans. So he's doing it now in two languages. Listen, if Montreal. You can hardly speak one. <laughs> as long as Tampa doesn't win the cup, if Montreal's the team that takes him out in the cup finals, it's still a net positive. Okay. Jake Nagy says, probably no better day than Father's Day to share that my wife and I are expecting our first kid this December. It's a girl. Uh, Jake, congratulations. Uh, Brad, he asked for any advice. Quick, one piece of quick advice for Jake. <laughs> one quick piece of advice. It goes fast. Appreciate every second. Loser. Man, Adam Counten. You, you say that. Meek is five, man. How does that make you feel? Terrible. That's actually insane. I hate it. <laughs> Again, I requested the opposite. Adam Kauser says, uh, I listened to a 2017 expansion draft episodes uh, to listen to the takes and they were fun. They honestly all still seem reasonable. Things like Vegas is going to be horrible. There's no way they protect Howard over Mrazek and the only mention of Nosek was expecting him to play 15 to 20 games with the Wings. But my favorite was Brad claiming that he'd run through the streets naked if Lilligren fell to nine. So two-part question was, Brad, did you follow through with that promise? And two, what did what reasonable takes from this expansion draft won't age well? Oh, boy. Um, knowing our luck, two things. One, I probably did that, but not for the reasons uh, that you laid out. Two... <laughs> Somebody on the Red Wings, we are sure is going to get protected, won't be, and they will play great for Seattle. I don't even care who it is. I know it's going to happen, whether it's Chalosky, Stetcher, Giovanni Smith, pick. Whoever they take is going to be great for Seattle because we are so sure they won't be. Uh, BJ Crisco Stan Club says, my wife told me that I'd be receiving a BJ for Father's Day. I was excited to finally be meeting the one and only Brad Crisco, but unfortunately, I think she meant something else. I mean, bungee jumping was fun, but I was really looking forward to talking about prospects for the upcoming draft. Happy Father's Day, BJ. <laughs> I appreciated and hated everything about that comment. Uh, Matt S is no question this week just happy the F1 race was enjoyable and the title battle is hot this year also happy that both series are competitive and not one-sided P.S. I still haven't forgiven Evan for slamming Zetterberg's head into the glass in the 2012 playoffs keep up the good work as always dub dubs uh, Dylan Cafellas says hey guys keep up the great work I believe Dylan's a new patron so welcome uh, and thank you for your support <laughs> he says I deliver herbs for a living and you guys keep me entertained and sane through the days of driving through the heat <laughs> thank you for the ellipses 
<laughs> I have one favor to ask. Nope, Brad, you can I hope it doesn't. And I wish you well, but if anything goes sideways and you're about to be on an episode of Cops, can you turn the volume up so we can hear ourselves in the background? <laughs> Question says, what would you have to be packed? What would have to be packaged with Larkin to trade for Eichel? And would you even consider it? I wouldn't personally. Larkin has too much intangible value, intangible value to the franchise, but I have friends that strongly disagree. Okay. So here is what the rumored asking price is for Eichel. And Larkin is one piece of what they have asked for. A high first round pick, if not a low first round pick with multiple picks added on sweetener a significant roster player and a team one of a team's top prospects so you have larkin significant roster player sixth overall pick and then you have to choose one of cider or raymond and would you do that larkin and six is what i like i would do larkin and six right yeah buffalo wouldn't no buffalo wouldn't um i understand the attachment to larkin but Teams go decades without ever seeing a player like Jack Eichel. So if you have the opportunity, you do it. I do see merit to the argument of don't get Jack Eichel, stay worse for longer and get good centers who are younger if you win the next couple draft lotteries. But that's asking a lot. Anyhow, there's Eichel conversation to come. So Sam, for d- what it's worth on this argument, because I'm very pro acquire superstar with Jack Eichel's uncertain injury and surgery status and all that muckiness going on, that to me makes it almost an immediate no, because I'm not giving up that many assets for if we don't know if Jack Eichel's ever going to be Jack Eichel again. He probably will be, but that risk, eh, not good. But if you want to talk about the, can you build a contender or at least a, a team that can compete with less superstars but good depth? Vegas, Montreal, and the Islanders are all good arguments for that. So that should ease a lot of Red Wings fans' minds right now. Sam W. says it may be a bit of a silly idea and a logistical challenge, but how fun would it be if there was some kind of secondary trade deadline after, say, round one or two of the playoffs, whereby a surprise contender like Montreal could further fortify their roster for the next round? Oh, I appreciate the out-of-this-world idea, but I hate that. (laughs) I okay. I assume the trades would only come from teams that miss the playoffs. I would love to see maximum chaos, so I would do it with the caveat you're only allowed to trade trade with other teams who are still alive. Yeah, then no trades would happen. I know, but it would be so fun for the one time it happened, and then those teams met later in the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says, since the spiteful gods of hockey seem set on a Canadian's Islanders final, who would you rather have win that final and what would be the effect uh, of the copycat league in the NHL? Uh, Islanders and the effect would be the same thing after St. Louis won. People are determined to have grit and size and that's fine with me. I don't. The island. I don't know. This is tough. I'm actually going to say the Canadians. Because I think if the Islanders win, a lot of people will write that off on good coaching and it won't change that much. I think if, because the one thing that I appreciate the hell out of in Montreal is Mark Bergevin wakes up every day and chooses chaos. He will trade for anybody, anytime, big trade, small trade, offer sheets. 
he will do every use everything at his disposal, and I love him for it. Even if I disagree with most of his moves, his mentality is perfect, and I wish more teams would be like that. Uh, Cancellor of Podcasts says, Good day, Dud Duds, and a special hello to fully vaccinated BJ. I was talking to Ryan, and he suggested we give you your uh, very own short segment every episode where you can just rant uninterrupted called BJ time. That did not happen. Uh, I know this idea seems like it kind of be, or, or it might be a little bit hard to swallow, but if you seem like the kind of guy who is fine with a mouthful of words, anyways, I'm sure you won't choke this opportunity away. Uh, can you dummies please start fighting about prospects? Uh, this whole uh, social proof group thing has to stop. Add some critical thinking. Please take a stance on Brant Clark right now. Can the wings fix his skating? BJ argued they can. Cry and, Cry and Hannah argue they can't. Kevin definitely isn't paying attention, so you keep, can keep looking up new golf sticks and stay on mute. My argument isn't they can fix his skating. I said he his style of skating can be effective because his stride is so wonky. Technically, that's not getting fixed. If he gets more power, continues to utilize his edges, it'll be fine. Not great. It'll be good enough. My my argument for, you know, him not being able to – actually, I don't even think that's my argument. I know that's the, the side you want me to take, Rowan, but it's like we've seen players correct their skating before. It sometimes takes some time. I just wish we would have – we would see it more consistently. So I do think you can't draft him with the understanding that you're definitely going to fix his skating. I think you have to factor it in and anything that happens beyond that is a bonus. Um, Jersey time ads on jerseys. I feel heckin' sick. I get the NHL needs money, but gross. It seems inevitable. So on the rear hemline is the least invasive spot. Stay fresh cheese bags. I agree. The rear hemline is the least invasive. You just know they're going to go with the NBA, um, shoulder chest patch, right? Understanding that's what they're going to do. My preference would be shoulder patch because you can offset it with a non ad on the other shoulder and then you get at least a little balance out of it and it doesn't look out of place. But yeah, I really hope they don't put it on the chest. That's kind of the one I'm hoping to avoid. Waxed, wax and, and strutting into the club with a big brass pair like Ryan Pulak says, Hey, fellas, still feeling a bit better this weekend, still having a hole in my back, still high. Fun times in New York right now. Uh, I could hear gasps out of every bar down uh, the street after Kevin Durant's tying three-pointer and Ryan Pulak's goal line save. Having a carry price helps, but if Montreal wins, it's going to throw out the whole winning without center depth theory. The Habs have Vegas beat down the middle right now. Remember when we used to make fun of the Habs' center depth? With the ascension of goal Caulfield, is it fair to say that he may have inflated values for Jack Hughes and Alex Turcotte? Uh, if so, does that affect your assessment of any prospects in this year's draft that play on stacked teams? Ironically, the, the biggest argument for a prospect with inflated value due to playing on a stacked team is a goalie. So can't really compare that too much. I mean, Hughes outscored Caulfield by points and his primary points were higher. I, I We all knew Caulfield was a goal scorer. We all knew Hughes was benefiting from Caulfield, but it wasn't just that Jack Hughes was putting up good numbers. He was putting up otherworldly numbers, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel type numbers. And I don't think anybody ranked Jack Hughes in the same tier as a Jack Eichel or Austin Matthews. So that leads me to believe that everybody knew Caulfield was in and Turcotte were probably inflating those numbers a little bit. So I don't 
think it's entirely fair to say that. I, I think he was got where he was on his own merit. All right, time for a couple Reddit questions here. Uh, Meshu Gojira says, what do you guys think of Wierenski, the Wierenski homecoming chatter, asking for my friend Dylan? I think it's perfectly possible. I think the connection is there. I, I don't want to say it's impossible. I just don't know that he's getting the money in turn that he wants in Detroit based on the timeline. I, I think that is the ultimate guider of what Eisman will decide here. For me, it all comes back to the timing thing. Like, the only player, there's like four players in the league that I would want Detroit to, to go after in free agency, regardless of timing. And Zach Rowenski is not one of those guys. So I'll say the same thing I've said a, a hundred times before. I don't think the timing's right. And last question here is from Wingnut17. has been looking at the Lightning's cap next season, and it's terrible. What player do you see us taking for a cap relief along with maybe one of their prospects? Um, maybe Tyler Johnson, and they give us all the felt. That would solve two problems. Yeah. So I would be. Would. That that's pretty realistic. And at that point, Johnson only has three years left. So you ride him out as a useful player for one, probably two years. If he ages well, great. You get a useful player for all three. Um, worst case scenario, if you have to eat a buyout for a couple of years, so be it. But if you get a potential starting goalie out of it, even better. Okay, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Wingville Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We're going to be back with you midweek. Uh, thank you again to Max Boltman from The Athletic Detroit for joining us for that mock draft. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our Patreon supporters, our name-level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana, Slamma Jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Brandon M., Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, Morally Chaotic, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, B.J. Crisco, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, As Good As It Gets, Reed, Stan Olson, Trevor Pebavar, Vaxed, Waxed, and Strutting Into the Club with a Big Brass Pair Like Ryan Pulak. Thank you all so much. We'll see you in a few days. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.